Section 11, Chapter 14 of Elementary Theosophy by L. W. Rogers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Forces We Generate Every human being is constantly generating three classes of forces, and they determine the kind of life he will lead here, the degree of success or failure that will characterize it, and the state of his consciousness on the inner planes after death of his physical body. The law of rebirth brings us back to incarnation, but it is the law of action and reaction under which we evolve while here. Three cases of energies which we generate are those of thought, desire, and action. They belong, in the order named, to the mental world, the astral world, and the physical world. All people are constantly thinking and desiring, and with varying degrees of energy, are putting thought and desire into action. These forces sent out into the worlds of thought, emotion, and action produce certain reactions or consequences, and to them the man is bound until justice is done and the soul has learned its evolutionary lesson. That thought and desire are forces as certainly as electricity is. The student of the occult well knows, but the world is not quite yet at the point where the fact is generally accepted. That, however, is the history of all human progress. When Franklin began his experiments with electrical force, almost nobody believed there was any such thing in existence. Yet today we use it to carry our messages, run our trains, and drive our machinery. Had anybody predicted all that at the time of the first experiments, he would have been considered extraordinarily foolish. What the world accepts or rejects in any particular time usually has very little to do with the facts. The general public can be expected to come trailing along, about a half a century late, with its acceptance and approval. Thought is a force or telepathy, and hypnotism would be impossible. Both have been scientifically demonstrated. The mental body grows by the process of thinking. The force generated in thinking reacts in the production of greater faculty for thinking, so that we literally create our mental abilities. The activities of thought change the mental body into a better and constantly better instrument through which the ego can express itself. But our thoughts also affect others, and we thereby make ties with them that must work out sooner or later in associated experience. Desires generate a kind of energy that plays a most important role in the drama of human evolution. The law operates to bring together the desire and the object that aroused the desire. For the soul can only judge the wisdom of its desires by observing the result of gratifying them. Thus do we acquire discrimination. It is usually a strong desire nature that brings trouble of various kinds, and yet the force of desire it is that pushes all evolution onward. Through experience the soul finally learns to control desire, to raise lower desires into higher ones, and thus ultimately to attain non-attachment and liberation. Actions are the physical expression of thoughts and desires, and as we are constantly, simultaneously thinking, desiring, and acting, very complex results arise. In the multitudinous activities of life we set up relationships with other souls, some of the results of which reach far into the future. The average man, with no knowledge of the laws under which he is evolving, is usually making both friends and foes for future incarnations, and is often unwittingly laying up pain and sorrow for himself that a little occult knowledge would enable him to avoid. 
every injury that he inflicts will return to him though not necessarily in kind nature does not punish she merely teaches and knows nothing of retaliations her great concern seems to be that all souls shall get on in evolution and when a lesson is learned her purpose appears to be accomplished the forces we generate in each incarnation shape and determine the next succeeding ones our families our friends our business associates our nation are determined by what we have thought and felt and done in the past and by the lessons it is necessary we shall learn our wealth or poverty fame or obscurity our strength or frailty our intelligence or stupidity our good or bad environment our freedom or limitations all grow out of the thoughts and emotions and acts in the past from their consequences there is no possibility of escape but that does not mean that we are the helpless slaves of fate from which there is no release we who generated the forces can neutralize them we can undo anything we have done it only means that for a time we must work within the self-imposed limitations created by a wrong course in the past those who are interested in the long-time discussion over free will and determinism have often been impressed with the remarkably strong arguments that can be marshaled by each side to the controversy either side when presented alone appears to be conclusive the explanation lies in the fact that each is right but only to a certain point both free will and necessity are factors and when the theosophical viewpoint is understood the apparent contradiction disappears we are temporarily bound but we did the binding by the desires we indulged and the emotions we freely harbored in the past the condition of temporary restraint in which we now find ourselves may be likened to that of a party of gold hunters who go into alaska to locate mines they are all aware that in that remote northern country navigation closes very early and that after the last boat leaves there's no possibility of getting out of that region until navigation opens again in the next season some of them are discreet and reach the landing in ample time others are careless they continue their search for gold a little too long and arrive at the river a day too late the boat has sailed and they must become prisoners of the ice king it is a great misfortune but they alone are responsible they cannot escape from alaska for many months but within alaska they are absolutely free they can build a cabin and either waste the time with idle games or seriously think and study they are limited but free within the limitation and the limitation itself was of their own making it is precisely so with us in the environment of the present incarnation and with our various fortunes we made them and when the forces with which we did it are exhausted we shall be free meantime we can do much toward modification and improvement the reactions from forces we generate naturally do us exact justice just because they are reactions we reap precisely what we sow the reaction may sometimes seem harsh but consideration of the matter from all points of view will show that mercy as well as justice is always a factor let us consider the method by which nature changes recklessness into caution a man is careless we will say about lighting a cigar and throwing the burning match down wherever it may happen to fall he may be going on doing that a long time with no serious result 
yet all careful people know that he is a source of danger some time ago a newspaper told the story of such a man who passed along the street lighted a cigarette and carelessly flung the flaming match from him a nurse was passing with her charge in its tiny carriage the match fell on some of the light airy wraps of the infant and they burst into a blaze before the fire could be extinguished the child was so badly burned that it died the next day the moment such a case is stated we realize the necessity of something that will cure the man of such fatal carelessness he is a menace to the lives and property in his vicinity no law however can be invoked he had no criminal intent but he is none the less dangerous for that as the incident proved we are helpless however to prevent his continued carelessness but nature is not helpless under the law of action and reaction he must reap as he has sown it may be in the later part of this incarnation or it may be in a following one but sooner or later his carelessness will react and he will lose his physical body in pain and distress and come to know personally just what his recklessness means in the reaction a part only of which is on the physical plane he gets the experience that is necessary to set him right the folly of his course is so driven in on his consciousness that he has changed from the careless man to the careful man in no other way could his cure be brought about it may be said that if a misfortune comes to us as the result of our wrong thinking and acting in a past life we can know nothing of its cause and therefore we cannot profit by the reaction but while we do not know in the limited consciousness of the physical brain the soul does know and in the wider consciousness the lesson is registered the principles of justice are never violated in teaching the soul its evolutionary lessons nothing can come to a man that he does not merit and that which often looks like a misfortune is only the beneficent working of the law seen from an angle that makes it illusory but it may be objected how does theosophy see beneficent working of the law in the burning of a theater where a score of people lose their lives including several children how can theosophy explain that how can it be explained by those who hold that the soul is created at birth if god really brings the soul into its original expression in an infant body why does he throw it out again in a few years or even months what can be the purpose it would be difficult indeed to explain the death of children if the soul were created at birth but let's look at it from the theosophical viewpoint the child is an old soul with a young body hark back to the case of the man whose carelessness caused the death of the baby in its carriage he and others like him are again in incarnation and in the burning theater they get the reaction of the unfortunate forces they have generated but why so many in some catastrophes it may be asked a principle is not affected by the number involved if we can see justice in death of one person we can see justice in the death of a hundred it is simply class instruction people of a kind have been drawn together we should not forget that we see only a small fragment of any such case from the physical plane we form an opinion however on that inadequate survey and are quick to declare our opinion of the justice or injustice involved but our verdict depends wholly upon a viewpoint let us suppose for example that a man strolls down the street and that as he turns a corner he suddenly comes upon a little tragedy of life a young man is lying on the ground battered and bleeding 
while two others stand over him what would the average man coming suddenly on the scene say he would probably indignantly blurt out the ruffians and he would be inclined to assist the man who was down but let us suppose that he had been a moment earlier he would then have been in time to turn around the corner with the other men and would have seen him rush upon a defenseless woman push her down snatch her purse and dash away but fortunately in the direction of the men who assaulted and stopped him had the last arrival seen the entire affair he would have reversed his opinion and said that the thief got what he deserved and so it is in our inadequate physical plane view of what we call calamity it may appear to involve injustice but only because we do not see the entire transaction those who study the occult laws that shape human destiny may learn to use them for their rapid progress and for ensuring a comfortable as well as spiritually profitable life journey but before we can work successfully within the law we must know that the law really exists most people seem to either believe there is no law that will certainly bring them the results of their good or evil thoughts and acts or that if there is such a law they can in some way dodge it and escape the consequence and so we see them going along through life always doing the selfish thing or the thoughtless thing they misstate facts they engage in gossip they harbor evil thoughts they have their enemies and hate them they scheme to bring discomfort and humiliation upon those whom they dislike and then when the harvest from this misdirected energy is ripe and they are misled by the falsehoods of others to their loss and injury when they fall into the company of schemers and are swindled when a false story is started about them when through no fault of the moment they are plunged into discomfort and humiliation they merely call it so much bad luck and go on blindly with their generation of wrong forces that will in due time bring another enforced reaping of pain there is a law that regulates the pleasure and pain of daily life as certainly as there is a law that guides the earth in its orbit about the sun the law of action and reaction is just as constant accurate and immutable as the law of gravity that keeps our feet upon the ground while we come and go and think nothing at all about it there is something almost terrifying in the immutability of all natural laws and their utterly impersonal aspect they are the operation of forces which in themselves are not related to what we call good and bad they simply are the law of gravity will illustrate the point it operates with no consideration whatever for character or motives it holds all people good and bad alike firmly upon the earth while it whirls through space if a saint and a fiend stumble over a precipice it will hurl them both to the bottom with perfect impartiality if the fiend who may just have murdered a victim is more cautious than the saint and avoids the precipice the law has not favored him he has merely reaped the reward of his alertness in spite of his bad morals the saintly man may have come fresh from some deed of mercy but the law of gravity takes no account of that when he stepped over the precipice and was dashed to death he paid the penalty of carelessness regardless of his benevolence there is profound wisdom in the words god is no respecter of persons for of course all natural laws are but the expression of the divine will but this immutability of natural law is not in the least terrifying when we come to look more closely at it on the contrary 
it is within that very immutability that divine beneficence and compassion are hidden it is only by the constancy if the changeless law that we can calculate with absolute certainty and surely attain the results at which we aim it is because of the certainty that the doing of evil brings pain and the doing of good yields a return of happiness that we can control circumstances and determine destiny why should there be such a law operating in the mental and moral realm because only thus we can evolve we must not only change from ignorance to wisdom but from selfishness to compassion from wrongdoing to perfect harmlessness how would that be possible without the law of cause and effect without action and reaction which brings pleasure for righteousness and pain for evil deeds only under such a law can we learn what is the right and what is the wrong thing to do if it is agreed that we are souls and that evolution is a fact and that perfection is the goal of the human race then the necessity for the law of action and reaction is as obvious as the reason for a law of gravity the existence and operation of this law of cause and effect are set forth repeatedly in the christian scriptures with what measures ye meet it to others it shall be measured to you is certainly explicit in proverbs footnote proverbs twenty six verse twenty seven End footnote. we have this definite declaration whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein and he that rolleth a stone it shall return upon him of course the language is figurative no writer of common sense would assert that every time a workman digs a pit he shall tumble into it nor that whenever anybody rolls a stone it will roll back upon him we dig pits in the moral world whenever we undermine the character of another with a false story whether we originate it or merely repeat it and into such a pit we shall ourselves fall in the reaction of the law we have loosened and set rolling the stones of envy and hatred and they shall return to crush us down to failure and humiliation in the reaction that follows we have ignorantly generated evil forces under the law when we could have used it for our success and happiness judge not that ye be not judged is another statement of the law of action and reaction it is not an assertion that we should not judge because we are not qualified nor because we may ignorantly wrong one another with such a judgment it is an explicit statement that the sequence of judging others is that we in turn shall be judged if we criticize we shall be criticized if we condemn others for their faults and failures we shall be condemned if we are broad and tolerant and remain silent about the frailties of others we shall be tolerantly regarded by others all of us who have studied the subject find in our daily lives the evidence of the truth of such biblical declarations we know perfectly well that anger provokes anger and that conciliation wins concessions while retaliation keeps a feud alive we know that retort calls out retort while silence restores the peace in these little things it is usually within the power of either party to the trouble to have peace instead of turmoil just a matter of self-control but in the larger events it is not always so they are not invariably within our immediate control because they are often the results of causes generated in the past which we can no longer modify and this brings us to a wider view of this law of cause and effect if we look at the life history of an individual as it stretches out from birth to death 
it presents a remarkable record of events that appear to have no logical relationship to each other in childhood there may have been either great happiness or great sorrow and suffering regardless of the qualities of character we are considering and there is nothing in the present life of the child to explain either the child itself may be gentle and affectionate and yet may be the recipient of gross abuse and cruel misunderstanding in maturity we may find still greater mysteries invariably there are mingled successes and failures pleasures and pains but when we come to analyze them we fail to find a satisfactory reason for them we see that the successes often arise when they are not warranted by anything that was done to win them and for the want of any rational explanation we call it good luck we also observe that sometimes failure after failure comes when the man is not only doing his very best but when all of his plans will stand the test of sound business procedure baffled again we throw logic to the winds and call it bad luck luck is a word we use to conceal our ignorance and our inability to trace the working of the law suppose we were to ask a savage to explain how it is that a few minutes time with the morning paper enables one to know what happened yesterday in london he knows nothing of reporters and cables and presses he cannot explain it he cannot even comprehend it but if he is a vain savage and does not wish to admit his ignorance he might solemnly assert that the reason we know is because we are lucky and he would be using the word just as sensibly as we use it if by luck we mean chance there is no such thing in this world chance means chaos and the absence of law from the magnificent orderly procession of a hundred million suns and their world systems that wheel majestically through space down to the very atom with all of its electrons the universe is a stupendous proclamation of the all-pervading presence of law it is a mighty panorama of cause and effect there is no such thing as chance what then is good luck we know that people do receive benefits which they apparently have not earned there simply cannot be a result without a cause they have earned it in other lives when the conditions did not permit immediate harvesting of the results of the good forces generated and nature is paying the debt and making the balance of her books at a later period it may be in the case of one that some specific act is attracting its reward or it may be in the case of another that he is nearing the point in evolution where he no longer desires things for himself only to discover that nature fairly flings her treasures at his feet he has put himself in harmony with evolutionary law with the divine plan and nature withholds nothing when we eliminate chance then we are forced to seek the cause of unexplained good or bad fortune beyond the boundaries of this life because there is nothing else we can do we have results to explain and we know they do not come from causes that belong to this life they must of necessity arise from causes generated in a past life now the moment we get away from the narrow view that we began existence when we were born all the mysteries about us disappear and we can fall back on natural law and logically explain everything why does one person begin life with a good mind while another is born with small mental capacity because one worked hard at life's problems in past incarnations while the other led a butterfly existence and merely amused himself why does one move serenely through trying circumstances always maintaining a cheerful view of life 
while another loses control of his temper at the slightest annoyance and wears himself out with the trifling vexations of existence only because he has for a long period practiced self-control while the other has never given a thought to the matter why is one so thoughtful of others that he wins universal love and admiration while another is so self-centered that he makes no true friends at all again past experience explains it the one has studied the laws of destiny and lived by them while the other has not yet even learned of their existence putting aside the old belief that the soul is created at birth and keeping in mind the newer and scientific view that we have all lived many lives before all the difficulties and perplexities at once disappear we are no longer puzzled because we find in a man's life some good fortune when he has apparently done nothing to deserve it for we see that he must have set the forces in motion in a previous life which now culminate in this result we are no longer mystified because apparent causeless misfortunes befall him for we know that in the nature of things he did generate the causes in the past a single incarnation has the same relation to the whole of the soul's evolution that a single day has to one incarnation as the days are separated by the nights and yet all the days are related by the acts which run through them so the incarnations are separated by periods of rest in the heaven world and yet all the incarnations are related by the thoughts and acts running through them what a man does in his youth affects his old age and what we did in our last incarnation is affecting the present one the one is no more remarkable than the other as we mold old age by youth so are we shaping the coming incarnation by this one before we shall be able to see the utter reasonableness of the truth that what we are now is the result of our past we must have a clear understanding of the relationship between the soul and the body the physical body in each incarnation is the material expression of the soul of its moral power or weakness of its wisdom or ignorance of its purity or its grossness just as one's face is at each moment the expression of one's thought and emotion in physical matter every change of consciousness registers itself in matter man has emotions he feels a thrill of joy and his face proclaims the fact he becomes angry and the change from joy to anger is registered in physical matter so that all who see his face are aware of the change in his consciousness which they cannot see these are passing changes like sunshine and shadow and they are obvious to all but we know that as the years pass the constant influence of consciousness molds even physical matter into permanent form a soul of sunny disposition finally comes to have benevolent features while one of morose tendency as certainly has a face of settled gloom nobody can contact the soul of another with any physical sense we possess yet nobody has the slightest doubt of his ability to distinguish between a sunny peaceful soul and a soul that is not in harmony with life we know the difference only because consciousness molds matter but this is merely the surface indication consciousness is continually influencing matter and the major part of its work is not visible to us what the consciousness is the body becomes whether we are now brilliant or stupid comely or deformed is the result of the activities of consciousness and the very grain of the flesh and the shape of the physical body are the registrations in matter of what we the soul thought and did in the past 
consider a specific thing like deformity, and we shall begin to see just why and how it may have come about. If in a past life a person was guilty of deliberate cruelty to another, and on account of it suffered great mental and emotional distress afterward, it would be no remarkable thing if the mental images of the injuries inflicted on his victim are reproduced in himself. In idiocy we have apparently merely a distorted brain so that the consciousness cannot function through it. Might not that distortion of the physical brain easily be the result of violent reaction from cruelties in a past life? The consciousness that can be guilty of cruelty is seeing things crooked, out of proportion. Otherwise it could not be cruel. This distortion in consciousness must register a corresponding distortion in matter, for the body is the faithful and accurate reflection of that consciousness. It is just because the body is the true and exact expression of the consciousness in physical matter that the palmist and phrenologist can sometimes give us such remarkable delineations of character. The record is there in hand and head for those who can read it. This broader outlook on the life journey, extending over a very long series of incarnations, gives us a wholly different view of the difficulties with which we have to contend, and of the limitations which afflict us. It at once shows us that in the midst of apparent injustice, there is really nothing but perfect justice for everybody, that all good fortune has been earned, that all bad fortune is deserved, and that each of us, mentally and morally, what he has made himself. Mansfield put it well when he wrote, All that I rightly think or do, or make or spoil, or bless or blast, is curse or blessing justly due, for sloth or effort in the past. My life's a statement of the sun, of vice indulged or overcome. As I journey on the roads, I shall be helped and healed and blessed. Dear words shall cheer and be as goads, to urge to heights as yet unguessed. My road shall be the road I made, all that I gave shall be repaid. Have we ever heard of a plan more just, of a truth more inspiring? It is surely a satisfying thought that every effort shall give increased power of intellect, that all kindly thought of others is a shield for our own protection in time of need, that every impulse of affection shall ripen into love of comrades, that all noble thinking builds heroic character, with which we shall return in some future time to play a still noble part in the world of men. End of section 11, chapter 14